Hello and welcome to another episode of CBO Speaks. I'm your host, Donna Sheely. Today, we are joined with Dr. Kim Hadley. She's the Vice President of Finance and Administration and Assistant Professor of Business at John Brown University. Happy to have you with us today, Kim. Welcome. I am delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, I love talking to CBOs who are also instructors. So (laughs) I think that is really cool. So what is your feeling about CBOs and working in the classroom? I came into higher education through teaching. I actually spent eight years as an adjunct, um, came out of a career in public accounting and internal audit and corporate, and then came in as an adjunct. And over eight years, um, I joke that I worked the night shift because I taught, <laughs> I taught night classes. Um, and then I came in as an academic administrator and, and faculty member. I was on the, um, Faculty Affairs Committee, which is the committee that that basically is the liaison between faculty and administration. I chaired that. I was actually scheduled to be interim dean when I was asked to be the chief business officer. Um, so I actually joke and say the chief business officer at John Brown University came out of the educational operations of the university. I remember what it's like to grade papers at one in the morning, and I know how hard faculty work, and that informs everything for me. And I care so deeply about our students, um, you know, because of a number of years of having students in my home, students in my office. And I just think that informs everything I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would guess so, because you're really at the pulse of what I mean, you're you're working with the students that you are um, essentially over. And so I think that gives you I want to say a pulse, but you you get to understand what's going on with the kids, especially now. Can you talk to me a little bit about the today's climate and how, you know, your students at your school, what what how are they feeling? How are they doing right about now? To be clear, I'm not in teaching. I don't teach every semester now. Okay. I do occasionally. Okay. So um, being a chief business officer is full-time job. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, a, but a student-run coffee shop, the management team reports directly to me, and I have lunch with them in my office every week. That's awesome. And so I, I get a pretty close pulse, at least on, um, you know, having that close relationship with our students. You know, I think our students are tired of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. I think that that has worn on some of them, but anytime we're able to loosen a restraint and add back some normalcy, it's fresh and new and exciting to our students. So for last year, our coffee shop on campus that's completely student managed did not have any um, guests that, that consumed beverages inside. It was all to go and, and take out. And this year we've been able to allow students because we have vaccinations and those things to, to come to inside the coffee shop again. And I think it's just been so excited and the, the students exciting and the students are excited about it. Um, and so I think that, um, but I think in general students, um, Students have more challenges with mental health these days. I think they have more complex situations at home, both financially and relationally. And I think that um, that there is an anxiety level that probably was increased by the pandemic um, that 
students are, are dealing with. And I think nationally, we're seeing counseling services at universities increase at significant levels. And I think that indicates an underlying, well, you know, there may be more acceptance and um, to seek out counseling, which I think is a great thing. Um, but also, I think there is an increased need for counseling. Yes. I think we all need counseling at some point in our life. I (laughs) totally agree with you. Yes, yes. And with things that are going on right now, for sure. I mean, a lot of isolation. And and so I could definitely understand that. Now, you are at a Christian university. So that kind of leads into that. So did you choose a Christian institution on purpose? um, Or did you kind of just land there? And then talk about your faith and your role at JBU. I actually didn't have the ability to go. I, I, well, I did, I was first generation college student. So I don't think I fully understood all of my options in terms of college. So I spent two years in community college, which served me well, was an excellent education. And then I finished my undergraduate at a state school. Um, but when I became an adjunct, I actually, I was in corporate audit and my boss there told me about John Brown University. And, and, um, so I tell you, it's just been even, even as an administrator and faculty member, it's just been a refreshing place to be for my faith. I think, um, you know, our students learn, but I think also our faculty and staff, we're constantly growing. We'll, um, we're, we, we have, um, book studies and things like that that will encompass everyone on campus. And it's just been a wonderful place to further, you know, as a Christian, we develop our entire lives. And it's been a a great place for me to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you give an example? So I know that there may be some things that you do maybe a little differently at a Christian university um, as a CBO than someone, you know, at a, at a standard university. So talk to me about maybe an example of something that you would approach differently because of where you are. Well, I think in terms of prioritizing Christian formation as part of student development, um, we bring in chapel speakers. Um, we'll bring in chapel speakers that have maybe different perspectives on a, a topic, but will come from a perspective of their Christian faith, which is a little different. And we invest in that and we invest in Christian formation. We have an office of Christian formation on campus. And um, so it's really integrates throughout the university, you know, Office of Christian Formation brings in our chapel speakers and those sorts of things. But really, faculty and staff are expected to integrate faith into every aspect of their teaching. And the best the way I can think about that is as a Christian, I should take out my trash differently and think about my neighbors in the way I take out my garbage and my trash to the curb. And that's an example of we should think of as an accountant, you should think differently as um, someone in construction management. You may think about the beauty of a building as being part of God's creative forces working inside all of us. And an art faculty member may see um, the image of God and how they paint and how they. And so we integrate that into every aspect of the university. But I would think from a budget perspective that we invest in those aspects and you would see that in our budget. Yeah. Wow. And we're an interdenominational campus and we have been since our founding. Okay. So we have faculty members that come from a variety of denominations. Um, and, 
and and that was that was intentional from the the founding of our university. All right. Well, let's go back. You did touch on briefly about your um, career as an accountant before you became or before you entered higher ed. So talk to us a little bit about that and then how you entered or who led you into the higher ed realm. I was in public accounting. You know, I, I graduated with an undergrad in accounting CPA. So I was in public accounting and then found my way to corporate internal audit at a motors and drives manufacturer. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it was through actually the director of internal audit at that corporation that he suggested, he said, you know, I promised myself that when I passed the CPA exam, I would begin my MBA. So I actually did an executive MBA program before it was Mine was one 16 week class at night over the course of five years. Um, and so when I finished, my boss was like, you should start teaching some. And JBU has these programs. And actually, I began teaching in a program that was for adults who had not completed their degree. So it was a degree completion program. And then now I've taught in traditional undergraduate, graduate. And, but that's how I came into into teaching and loved it, loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the interaction with students and thinking about how, you know, and particularly with some adult learners, it's easier to understand the time value of money when you've had a mortgage. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I, I say there's more sticky places for that learning to land. That's right. Um, but so that's, that's how I came in and I just loved it and, uh, and transitioned to being, um, full-time teaching and 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 just has has really been a great enriching environment for me. When you first arrived into higher ed, what surprised you the most? You know, you're coming from accountant, you know, and now you're in higher ed. So what was some of the big surprises? I mean, I'm sure everyone would expect to say that things just take longer to make a decision in higher ed. And that may be true um, because things tend to be more collaborative. Um, so that may lead to better decisions. But I think what surprised me is coming out of corporate and, and public accounting before that was how collaborative institutions are between each other in sharing best practices. You would, you probably wouldn't ever see the secret sauce shared between corporations, right? Right. And so, um, so it's just this, this attitude of education and improving and getting better. So I was delighted to see that. Um, plus I, I also just love the, you know, like I said, the institution wide book studies and this, this environment of bringing speakers in on important topics. And it's just been a, it's just a rich lifelong learning environment. You know, even for someone working in facilities, they're invited to participate in some of these things. And, um, so also then I think the breadth being at a private small institution, the breadth of my job has been both challenging and rewarding. So it's been everything from establishing a corporate entity in Northern Ireland and learning, um, how to the process to buy property there and hire employees and, you know, to uh, that. To negotiating a radio signal contract with a Native American nation, a sovereign nation, and you know what that entails. So it's just the breadth of everything that someone wouldn't necessarily think about when they think of a chief 
business officer, which means that my day is never boring. Oh, never, never. I'm always fascinated by all the things that you all do. I mean, it's so broad. There's so many things like you were talking about being over a radio station. I'm like, that's pretty cool that you get to do that as well. (laughs) So I think that's pretty awesome. So which aspect of your job, you know, outside of the core functions, do you um, feel hold the most importance to you? Aspects with people. Mm -hmm. So maybe a different way I could think about that is what's the thing that would surprise people when I say that it's my most the thing I'm that I that I take joy in the most that I feel like we've accomplished, and and that is I the, our faculty staff we're in a relatively um, rural area. There's there's um, pretty large metropolitan areas around us, but where we're at, and so our faculty and staff was telling me there was a shortage of daycare facilities, and that was their greatest stressor, and so. I went about trying to think through, I knew that, you know, our mission's not to operate a daycare center. And I did visit some universities that did that. But I also, when a building came open on, that had been a, a graduate counseling center that came open on campus, um, I told cabinet, no one can touch it until I figure out if it can be a daycare. And so I went, and then I ask our faculty and staff, what's the daycare that you would want your children to be in if they didn't have a waiting list? And they told me, and some of them actually shared with me, that they had told the daycare they were pregnant before they told family members. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I just showed up at the daycare and I said, listen, I don't know if this building can work, um, but if would you be interested in leasing it from us and letting our have it open to the general community, but have our faculty and staff have first preference for slots. And it turned out the daycare was needing to expand and they were landlocked. And so through a course of time, we worked out and we have a, a Montessori school on our campus that it brings me great joy to see the little stroller of kiddos being pushed around and seeing employee members wave at their kids. And, but the, the moment I realized it was important when a, when in a faculty meeting, one of our Fulbright scholars, one of our very best faculty members, when it was announced, she burst into tears. Oh, wow. Of joy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've refinanced bonds. I, you know, I've done all the financial things, but to me, that's the thing that I look at as the greatest accomplishment because our faculty and staff can now go to work and not worry about their children, not have that stress. So then they can focus on pouring into our students. That's right. Wow. That is so important. And so when they're and they, yeah, when they are at ease and when they, when things are peaceful with them, they can definitely do their jobs much better. So that is a huge piece. Mm -hmm. That is very important. Let's talk about your faculty and your team. What do you, in your experience, what is the key? And this is, I guess, really something significant for a Christian university, the key to developing a good team. You know, what do you look for in how you build your team and your faculty? Well, for a Christian university, we have a statement of faith. And of course, all of our employees um, come committed to that statement of faith. JBU does not require students to be Christians, but all of our faculty and staff are. And so that's important. But also in carrying out our job duties, it's a way to serve God, right? 
and excellence in carrying out my job duties is a is a worship way to worship God with excellence. And so then I also think just um, having a good team, there's a level of trust with my cabinet members um, that it's not that we don't have conflict. Of course, we have conflict. But when we handle conflict, I think we handle it within the parameters of our faith, informed by our faith, um, which I think allows us to have the difficult discussions, but walk away from the table, still viewing each other as, as really valuable colleagues. Um, and which I think really perme- permeates all aspects of our university, even in the way we handle difficult, you know, discussions. Like I told you, we would bring in multiple um, viewpoints within the Christian faith on a topic and have discussion about it. I think that, that, diversity of viewpoint um, while grounded in our faith has been important. Yes, that seems like it would be huge. And I'm sure prayer is probably a big part of what you all do as well. <laughs> yes. I can only imagine yes. yeah, that that's a big yes. part too. So it's prayer and we begin, um, we begin the year with a all community worship service. And um, so you're, you're absolutely right. Cabinet members, pray at the beginning of cabinet meetings for wisdom and yeah yeah so wow that that has to be awesome well i want to talk to you about some challenges sometimes we don't like to talk about things that are have been a little difficult but we learn from our you know our mistakes and and things that maybe didn't go as well as we thought they should have so talk to us about some of the the bumps you may have come across um on your journey as you've been uh been a cbl so with any person as a CBO, we have regular challenges like when a great recession hits or when a pandemic hits and what that means for... Um, but as I think through about like what I learned and how I pivoted, um, most of it's been around communication. So for instance, it's important for your faculty and staff to understand the budget. And I think about that. We were able to do some pivots during the the pandemic that I think were only possible because the faculty and staff had a good understanding of the budget prior to the pandemic, um, which so we didn't have to start at ground zero explaining the budget. But I remember that I remember after a faculty meeting when I had explained the um, the budget for the next fiscal year, I looked across and one of our English faculty members just looked like he was bored stiff and I kind of took note of everyone and they were glazed over and I thought I'm not accomplishing anything here so I I thought how could I do that differently so I went to that faculty member and I said how could this have been better for you and he said pictures oh wow (laughs) pictures (laughs) and so I came up with the idea to do the series that I called Budget 101. And I, first thing I thought is too much information at once. So I cut it down into like little inoculations of the budget, if you will, tiny pieces. And I told them I'm inoculating you over time <laughs> so, so that you will. Um, but at each faculty meeting and each all staff meeting, I took one aspect of the budget and I explained it and I did explain it with humor and, 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 
pictures and I tried to make it as entertaining as I possibly could. Um, and I did that every month for over a two year period. So, and that included everyone from grounds and custodial to faculty and deans. Um, but my goal was that everyone on campus should understand at some high level the basic components of the budget and how it works. For instance, I wanted everyone to understand what net revenue meant. Okay. Okay. And so, and so I think my challenge, that's a pretty big challenge. If you think about my goal is that everyone will be able to explain net revenue. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I have never tested a hundred percent of our employees, okay. but <laughs> I have had feedback that these sessions really did help. And I, then I saw how that really helped us in the pandemic because we didn't have to explain how the budget worked. We just began explaining what's the impact of the pandemic and what are some things we're going to do to navigate this time. So it came from realizing I had done a subpar job. <laughs> Well, maybe a great job of putting people to sleep. Right. <laughs> right. But I needed, if I wanted people to understand the budget, I needed to do things differently. Do things. Wow. And you did it. And you got ahead of the pandemic because who knew that was coming? But because of that, when that hit, you were able to handle that totally different, I'm sure. And it was probably much easier to explain things once you've figured that out. Yeah. An example of where I saw that actually working was I explain intergenerational equity of the endowment with piggy banks. And I explained that if you spend too much now, your piggy bank gets really skinny. If you spend um, too, too much, um, and I called it skinny pig. Mm -hmm. And if you, <laughs> if you don't spend enough now, your piggy bank gets really fat. And I called that fat pig and, you know, unitized endowment was a bunch of pigs together. But anyway, I had all these diagrams and um, a member of our faculty sits in on all of the board committee meetings at board meetings. And so we had a faculty member in the endowment committee and we were talking about spend rate and projections of growth um, in the endowment and returns and inflation and what the spend rate should be. And he looked at me and said, that would be skinny pig, right? Uh, and I, and, it, and he was correct. And he was correct. Yeah. And, and I thought, my job was accomplished. Yes. <laughs> I know that felt great. <laughs> I'm sure that felt great. Like I, I, he got it. He got that. So that's great. Oh, good. Well, let's talk about your future. What, what is the vision for yourself in higher ed and, and your future? Yeah. My, my vision is at JBU beginning June one. It's been announced that I will transition into a chief operating officer okay. role. Um, my title will become vice president for operations and finance. So finance will still report through me, but um, university marketing communications and enrollment will start transitioning under me. And that really leans into, I have a doctorate in marketing. I have an undergrad in accounting CPA, an MBA with an emphasis in economics and then a doctorate in marketing with my research in consumer behavior. And so that really leans into it's it's a stretching experience for me. And there's restructuring underneath with my direct reports. Um, but I think that's really an important aspect. Enrollment and marketing and communications is an important aspect for the university. And I love my university and I would love to stay here and serve in that aspect. It also gives... 
um, some trans, you know, transitional institutional knowledge, um, among cabinet as we have retirements and things like that over the next 10 years. And, um, but it also is the first time we've ever had marketing and enrollment report under the same vice president. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so that's, that's growth for me and yes. exciting and a challenge all in the same. <laughs> that sounds exciting. Well, I know you're going to do fabulous and it's going to be a great transition for you. Talk to me about the succession plan, though, the person who's going to be possibly taking your place and mentorship and how you're handling that part of it. So the controller will become um, the chief accounting and budget officer reporting to me. Um, and the, the chief human resources officer will take over some of my risk management contract review and some things like that aspects. And we're hiring beneath both of them. And we're hiring, um, we're still interviewing for one, um, aspect, but for the accountant role, we hired someone in his, um, mid twenties and, he has all the raw ingredients to be a chief business officer. And I've asked our controller who will become the chief accounting and budget officer to over the next seven years, as we lead up to, you know, retirements and things like that within the finance department to, to grow him. And I'm investing in growing him with the idea of succession planning um, that so that when the controller retires and when I retire, there will be someone and we have a, a, a senior financial analyst, but I think she's a little met, um, it'll be longer before she retires, but so that we have this transition of institutional knowledge on the finances. I think that's really good for the institution. And, um, we're still interviewing for the, um, HR position, but I'm thinking that you know, there may be that similar opportunity depending on applicants there. Um, but so that's how it's working in those areas. Those aspects of my job, my daily task, um, will be taking on. Um, I had more of an oversight. We have a chief information officer that reports to me. I had more of an oversight role there. So my daily tasks won't change that way. We have a station manager at the radio station that reports to me. My daily tasks really won't change in that regard. Um, but the two areas that my daily task will would be within the human resources, risk management, insurance functions, and in the finance accounting function. Well, I'm just curious because this young 20-year-old that you have coming up, you said that he had some raw ingredients um, yeah. to be a CBO. Talk to me about what what are some of those ingredients that you saw in this young man? First and foremost, being from a faith-based institution, um, he is, you know, he his commitment to his faith is just apparent and and um, so that's really important. He has fantastic questions. Okay. Um, he has the analytical skills. He um, is a hard worker and he cares about people and he communicates well. Mm, okay. He happens to be an alumni, alumnus of our university. Um, and so he started with us in an internship. 
and we saw his potential. And I told him at the time, I don't really have a position open that meets your qualifications, but I have a data entry position. And I think over time, I will have other positions. So he spent a year kind of in an accounts payable specialist data entry. And through that, we kept giving him additional work and we saw his talent and, and, Basically, I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, I think we can grow you in our succession planning. And if you're willing um, and interested in that, we're willing to invest in you. And so I, um, he went with me to Sakubo and we were sitting in a, in a session on transition with the chief business officer role. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, they're saying all the things you've said. Um, and he said, but, but it, it's just like really under, it was really important to hear it from the industry as well as from me. Um, and so that was a, that was a good investment that, um, it was the fall workshops for Sukubo. And specifically, we took him to start investing and, and really, um, helping him prepare to what would be seven, 10 years, 15 years down the road. That's great information for those who are grooming um, future CBOs and those who are listening and they want to be a CBO. You just gave them some good um, cues on what some raw, I like how you said some raw ingredients on on some things they need to, to have. So I think that was really good. Well, Kim, thank you so much. You have been a, just a joy to talk with. And is there anything else you want to add before we close on out today? No, no. Well. We thank you so much. You really gave us a lot of information today, and we just appreciate your time and everything you've shared. You can find out more about Dr. Kim Hadley in today's episode by visiting podcasts at nakubo.org under professional development. Then click online education. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks on Apple Podcasts so that you can get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Kim and myself, I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. Be well. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Susan Wheeler Johnston, President and CEO of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Music.